No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how I'm gonna boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. No one's gonna tell me how to boogie. Come on, everybody, boogie bumper tonight. Scope. La la la. Everybody, welcome. It's good to see you. How the fuck are you? Where you been this whole time? Good times ahead. We're gonna gonna be an educational show tonight. We're gonna learn something. Isn't that fun? Isn't learning fun? Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a couple of weeks, of course. We've been here every night at 7 p.m. like we always are. Like we always are. I don't know where you've been. If you want to follow on Twitter, you can do that. I'm going to stop you. Um, if you want to follow on Twitter, you know where to go. You know where to go. Uh, if you want to download the podcast, whatever. Okay. You can do that too. Welcome aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Friday night edition. Saturday morning edition for me. Uh, brutally, bone-jarringly cold Saturday morning here in old Sydney town. You'll be pleased to know. So it's white boy summer somewhere, but that somewhere ain't fucking here, ladies and gentlemen. As the title would indicate, tonight it's it's just so happened to fall this way. I just so it just accidentally happened. Um, I found one article about racism, and then another, and then another, and then another, and then another. The Minister of Communications joining us in the chat, ladies and gentlemen, Nikki Fruit Loops three seventy, and I quote: "Always at seven p.m. Eastern, correct? Every time. Always at seven p.m. <laughs> so." I've just, we've just collected a, 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 you know, a very nice selection, a bouquet of racism for you tonight, which we're going to bring, because of course, it's very important to learn about racism, all the ways that you're offending people, you're oppressing people. Uh, here on this show, we stand against racism, ladies and gentlemen, we do. We are about diversity and unity and all those good things, as well as breakfast tacos. We love them. Every time I bite down into a breakfast taco, I just think to myself, God damn it, I love Spanish people. Which is fun, because if you'll remember, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, what is the what is the one thing that I say multiculturalism as a concept hinges on, right? What's the one thing, we've been saying this for years, what's the one thing that they always go to in defense of quote-unquote multiculturalism, what they think multiculturalism is. They don't see it as a, you know, like an all-encompassing political and social theory of interchange and, right? They don't see it as that. They don't see it as lobby groups. They don't see the the, the government grants. They don't see the the language and the and the press releases. They don't see that. What they see is like their favourite ethnic restaurant. That's what they think it is. <laughs> and they genuinely think, I love multiculturalism because I like the food. But that's not really, you know. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but cookbooks can travel. Recipes can travel. You don't necessarily need to import the people <laughs> to have the food. Okay. So multiculturalism, good or bad, is not the issue. It's it's what people think multiculturalism is and isn't. And it always comes down to the food. So 
Of course, now when you have the first lady, the smartest woman in America, Dr. Jill Biden, announcing that, uh, you know, the Latina, pardon me, the Latinx population, whatever the fuck that is. Whatever the fuck that is. I've, I've got a story this morning. Uh, we're going to take a look. We're going to check in on the inventor of non-binary day. Okay, that's that's item number two on the show tonight. Did you even know there was a non-binary day? <laughs> I was not aware. However, the BBC wrote up a glowing article uh, telling the the heroic, the stunning and brave story of this inventor of binary, uh, non-binary. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Pardon me. Non-binary day, of course. So we're going to check in with that. So yeah, the smartest woman in America, Dr. Jill Biden, now refers to all of the Latinos and the Latinas and likens them to tacos, which is... Once you get in between diversity and food, the whole system will come crashing down around you. As, as, as soon as people aren't allowed to enjoy the food anymore because that becomes racist, then it's all over, folks. The, that's the day the multiculturalism experiment will be, you know, shoved aside, consigned to the trash heap of history. Because it will cease to be a positive thing because it's the food is really the only thing that the, the white liberals, you know, have to look forward to. They don't understand anything. So good luck to them. Of course I'm joking. I don't agree with any of that. That's right-wing garbage. Right-wing conspiracy talk. We don't go to that. Let's kick it off, shall we? Before we get rolling tonight, just a little bit of lightheartedness. Just to, let's break the ice, perhaps, on a Friday night, Saturday morning. Uh, this was sent to me, and this is great, because as you know, as an Australian, uh, I have been you know, criticized many times over the over the years of doing live streaming of, you know, being a little bit too potty mouthed from time to time. I have received DMs from time to time from people saying, I enjoy your show and you're very entertaining. However, I cannot stomach the constant coursing and cuss words. <laughs> and I say, well, that's a fucking damn shame, that is, unfortunately. Well, you know, fucking see you next time. But I try to explain that it's really not, I'm not a coarse person. I can speak prim and proper, but what you have to understand is uh, here in this country, swearing is second nature to us. It, it is our language. You don't get it, right? It's, they're not really considered swear words. They're just words to us. And it starts at a very young age. This was sent to me and I found this fucking hilarious and cute and adorable all at the same time. Have a look at this. Outside. It's just a goat. No, it's a fucking goat. <laughs> There's a fucking goat outside. <laughs> no, and the mum's like, no, it's just a goat. And he looks at it again. And he goes, no, it's a fucking goat. <laughs> That's how young it starts for us. He's already he's already correcting his mother. No, mum, it's not a goat. It's a fucking goat. <laughs> There's a fucking goat outside. Yeah, I'll show you again. 
There's a fucking goat outside. No, it's just a goat. And look at his face when he's when she says no, it's just a goat. He kind of screws his face up. It doesn't make sense. And he looks at her kind of funny, and then he looks out the window again, and he goes, "No, it's a fucking goat." <laughs> Outside. It's just a goat. No, it's a fucking goat. <laughs> I need to make that into a sound drop. No, it's a fucking goat. <laughs> a outside. It's just a goat. No. I don't think I'll ever get sick of that. I reckon I played that 50 times last night and just kept hitting replay, 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 replay. Fantastic stuff, ladies and gentlemen. All right. <laughs> Dr. Brony in the chat. The kid is correct. It is a fucking goat. <laughs> I mean, obviously, one of the parents or mum at some stage has stuck her head out the, out the window and said, oh, my God, there's a fucking goat out so now he, now the poor lad thinks it's called a fucking goat. He's like, no, it's a fucking goat. <laughs> a fucking goat outside. It's just a goat. No, it's a fucking goat. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, on to the serious business, ladies and gentlemen. I told you, we're doing serious stuff tonight. Oh, from the BBC from one day ago, and this is this is an important article. Why I invented non-binary day. Now, if you're listening to the podcast, this is one of those ones that you you probably need to see for yourself. So just whack it into the Google machine. Why I invented non-binary day. And you'll see for yourself what we are addressing here. Uh, From the BBC, ladies and gentlemen, 10 years ago, Katya Van Loon, that's a quote, that is a quote, Katya Van Loon wrote a blog post calling for the creation of International Non-Binary Day. Uh, Look, I didn't... I've got to be honest here, put my hand up. I congratulate Katia Von Loon because I didn't know that just writing a blog, I didn't know you could invent a day by writing a blog. There's a fucking goat outside. (laughs) No, it's a fucking goat. So I didn't know you could just write a blog and then next thing you know, There it is. You've invented something. I invented this. (laughs) Invented. The blueprints, the schematics, the planning, right? To invent International Non-Binary Day. Now, don't you think it's a little binary for Non-Binary Day to have a specific day? I mean... Shouldn't non-binary day be whatever day I feel like? Right? So, I I put it to you, Katya, that your whole premise is flawed. 
that'll show them. A good argument will win the day. Of course it won't. Ten years ago, Katia von Loon wrote a blog post calling for the creation of International Non-Binary Day on the 14th of July, exactly halfway between International Women's Day and International Men's Day. She's a fucking genius. Can't believe nobody thought of that before. Katia tells BBC gender and identity correspondent... is that even a thing? The gender and identity correspondent? (laughs) Wearing the bulletproof vest and the army helmet behind enemy lines at the church. The gender and identity correspondent coming to you live here from the deepest, darkest Amish country. We're going to find out what their views on gender and identity are. Who are you, English, and what are you doing here? So the gender and identity correspondent, Mega Mohan, why is it, why it is important, it's important, why, why is it important that this day has become a reality? We're talking about the blog post-inspired non-binary day on the 14th of July. There's a meme that pops up every now and then about a bird that is called a penguin its whole life. One day, the bird meets a doctor who says, you are not a penguin, you are what is called a swan. The swan is filled with relief. Suddenly, its whole life makes sense. That's a meme? That's that's a meme? don't think they know what a meme is. That paragraph again, listen to, listen to this. There's a meme that pops up every now and then about a bird that is called a penguin its whole life. One day the bird meets a doctor who says, you are not a penguin, you are what is called a swan. The swan is filled with relief, suddenly its whole life makes sense. That's a meme. They think that's a meme. No, 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 see, look, I'm going to help you out. This, this is a meme. Here, this. That's a meme. (laughs) International Non-Binary Day is a meme. You know, (laughs) medieval, Eastern medieval inspired navel gazing is not a meme. This is a meme. I had my swan moment in 2011 when I when I was in my mid-twenties. That's not me. This is the article. This is the my grandmother had just died and I was at her apartment organising her things. Trying to distract myself a while, I fell into an online rabbit hole and stumbled to the Wikipedia page for gender identities. It was here that I first read the definition of non-binary. In those paragraphs, I learned about people who do not follow binary gender norms, people who feel they exist in an intermediate space outside the definitions of male and female. I've been to the top of Mount Everest. I've sailed the seven 
This is me, I thought. I am non-binary. This has been me my whole life. So we, we figured out who we are by reading Wikipedia. That's the reverse of what's supposed to happen. Because you should probably be somebody first before you have a Wikipedia page, not the other way around. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be getting your identity from Wikipedia. Your identity on Wikipedia should be coming from you, if that makes any sense. So. <laughs> Not to worry, I'm sure everything worked out fine. I mean, we're famous now, so it's it's got a happy ending. Drama was my favourite subject in high school. I enjoyed everything about it, even the heavy lifting at the end of the class. Heavy, I did drama. There's no heavy lifting. I was a straight A drama student in high school, believe it or not, until I was banned from studying drama ever again at the school because I refused to do Shakespeare. (laughs) And that is 100% hand on heart, no word of a lie. I refused to participate in some shitty Shakespeare night that the class wanted to do because I fucking hate Shakespeare. I hate it. (laughs) I hate the language. I hate the fucking pompousness of it. I I can't do it. So I refused and I was told by the head teacher, uh, even though I had been a straight A drama student up until that point, that I was no longer welcome in the classes. (laughs) Fuck you then. So I took up music instead and started playing guitar. Uh, So there I was, moving props along with the dudes, picked out, identified as different from the other girls. But strangely... This was the one time being different was a point of pride for me instead of shame. In some ways, I was like my mother. People called me my mother a handsome woman. (laughs) People called my mother a handsome woman, which I realised much later was designed to be an insult, referring to her perceived lack of femininity. Femininity? Femininity. (laughs) She was a single woman, a lawyer and educator. She wasn't like the other mothers from school. She would be as comfortable fixing things around the house as she was while acting her st- uh, while teaching her students or caring for me. Sounds like a wonderful mum. Sounds like a lovely mum. Uh, I was like her in my embrace of non-traditional gender roles. Now, see, <laughs> why it's it's like why do you have to say it like that? <laughs> ah! Minister of Fun with the diamond. Thank you, Minister of Fun. Dost thou protest too much against Shakespeare? Stop. Stop. (laughs) You know, you know, my favourite line from Shakespeare is Tony Stark in The Avengers saying, Doth mother know you weareth her drapes? It's not even a real Shakespeare line. That's the best Shakespeare's ever sounded. (laughs) Just not my thing. I can't do it. Shakespeare. Shake your spirit, Shakespeare. <laughs> you know, like, it's cool to say your mum used to work hard and do the housework and then fix things around the house and do, you know, change tyres and stuff. That's fine. Everybody loves that kind of a mum. It's great stuff. And that's a great female role model to have, someone who can just do it for themselves. That's what we want, right? But then you have to turn it into something weird and say, 
Just like mum, I also embrace non-traditional gender roles. No, yeah, but you say it like that. It makes you sound like an idiot. A strong chin. But unlike her, I existed somewhere else. So mum had it easier. Okay. <laughs> Mum had it easier because she grew up when she was doing all the, uh, you know, the non-traditional gender roles back in the day. It wasn't like it's different for me now. It's harder. Okay. okay. Growing up in the suburbs of Vancouver, Canada, and then later Hawaii, I lost myself in fantasy books. Fictional worlds created by writers like Ursula K. Lee Guin inhabited by characters with no fixed gender identity. At the age of 12, I began to write, creating my own fictional planets. Wow, you're so creative. So creative. Over a decade later, a much revised and polished version was published as the first in a series of science fiction novels. In these creative empires, I played around with gender roles. People oscillated between having male or female sexual characteristics. Writing gave me the freedom to imagine a less rigid reality. So we we acknowledge that our reality is imaginary. That's a start. <laughs> right? We acknowledge that our version of reality is not indeed real. Okay? That's good. From there, we can grow. As an older millennial, I grew up online. In chat rooms, I found communities of people who talked about sexuality. The internet really has destroyed the world. There's no arguing it anymore. You know, once upon a time, in order to spread your ideology, you had to raise an army, which took, you know, maybe a year. You had to go out find people, agree to pay them, sign them up for a tour. You know, it might be a 16-year tour in ancient Rome, right? And you had to go and make arrangements with them and train them and then march them. There was no getting on a plane or anything, so it took months to march to where you were going to. And then you had to conquer the other people, kill off all the nobles, tear up all in you know enforce your own law and subjugate the population and then maybe after a hundred years or 200 years they started accepting your ideology and your identity now you just log into fucking reddit and it's there no legions no battles no glory no statues no nothing the internet really has destroyed the world <laughs> Because the cultural garbage and ideology of what would have once been the hovels of barbarians, right, is now freely accessible to every noble citizen of the empire. And it's going to rot from the inside out as a result. Save this episode. As an older millennial, I grew up online. In chat rooms, I found communities of people who talked about sexuality and came out as bisexual at the age of 14. Online and later offline, LGBT communities welcomed me as I opened up about my sexuality and I felt belonged. Then in my 20s, I fell in love with my boyfriend, Nathan. This came at a price. In my opinion, there's no quicker way to get cash. Uh, get cash. <laughs> cash, I nearly. It's not cash. <laughs> I just assumed, pardon me. 
Uh, there's no quicker way to get cast out of an LGBT community than being a bisexual woman who is dating a man. The politics. Like, the, the technical politics of it all. I know. I know exactly what you mean. That's like a white person being a diversity officer at a university. You just can't have it, right? It just doesn't make sense. Wait a minute. You're not victimised at all. Uh, I'm a bisexual woman and I love having sex with men. (laughs) Wait a minute. You're not even a victim. Get the hell out of here. People see you as, quote, straight. Someone who cannot understand, and I'm quoting here, quote, (laughs) believe it or not, someone who cannot understand the struggle. (laughs) Ah, yes. Ah, yes. The bisexual struggle of women who have sex with women and also men. The struggle is real, I imagine. I imagine the pain is real. (laughs) Being open to everyone in the... Being open to all sexual partners of both sexes. I mean, how awful. How awful it must have been for you. To be oppressed by choice. (laughs) It would be much easier if people just told me, look, here's one person. The state is assigning you a partner and you just stick with them or we kill you. Okay. I'm starting to come around. I just think we would avoid a lot of problems. The state will set you up with your perfect match. They'll do their best. I mean, if there's not too many options around, well, we might have to hook you up with something on a temporary basis or whatever. But we'll do our best to match you up and then we'll assign a lover to you and that will be it. Now, if you do well at work and get that promotion, we'll assign you a mistress as well. Oh, God, the struggle. And suddenly, conversations and events no longer include you. They call it by erasure. There's a word for it. <clears throat> and it is very. It is a very real phenomenon. I'm sure it is. The invitations dip away. Private groups are set up without you. In my experience, people still understand sexuality in the way they do not understand gender identity. It's all very confusing. It's getting harder and harder. When I found the Wikipedia page that explained my non-binary identity, Nathan was the first person I wanted to tell, but I was terrified. When I saw him later that day, I said it quickly, I'm non-binary. Pause. He asked, so what's changing? (laughs) Another pause. I might use, this is the answer to what's changing. I might use different pronouns. (laughs) Not like direct quote. Okay, so you're non-binary now. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. All right. And what is changing exactly? Uh, I may use different pronouns. Okay. <laughs> Hartler, Hartler exactly, you know, in, <laughs> encapsulates the mood here. It all sounds so exciting. <laughs> How very exciting this must have been for you. He asked if I was transgender. Was I thinking about physically changing in any way? Oh, how what a bigot. Going straight to physical. What a bigot. I said, no, I wasn't. 
Okay, I'll try and remember your pronouns, he said, but I'm not very good at remembering stuff. We both laughed, relaxed, and the air between us less taut. So this very significant thing that has no effect. Okay, are we keeping up? (laughs) We were engaged soon after and married in 2015. Well, that's a good story. That's a happy story. Now, this is where this gets interesting, folks, because I was looking for some kind of um, I was looking for some kind of video media to go along with this article, right? To try and see if we can get a better background of what's going on here, a better context of the story. And what I did happen to stumble across, you are not going to believe, because I th- believe that I have found an 80-year-old now... I guess, abandoned YouTube channel of our good friend here, the inventor of Binary Day. Non-binary day. What do you think of that? So here we are. <laughs> now, the last... <clears throat> I mean... The last video upload here was eight years ago, and it is Katya Von Loon with 30 subscribers. Let's have a look at the videos. Now, I haven't looked at any of these videos. We have... This could be incredible stuff that we're unearthing. Uh, Minister of Fun with the Diamond, what pronouns does chocolate use? Good question. Good question. I've got no idea. Now, now here we are on the YouTube channel. Like I said, this is eight years ago. It's got 30 subscribers, and I think this is one of those ones. You know, it happens. People make channels and forget that they exist, you know, especially if they're doing a lot of stuff online. Minister of Fun, her, she, maybe. Is chocolate a woman? I don't think it is. Now, the videos we have here are entitled 50 Shades of Drinking. So let's go back eight years. Let's go back eight years and have a look at the inventor of non-binary day. See what they were doing. Feet? 50 Shades of Drinking. Okay, let's go. And foot fetishes. Hey, and foot what's fetishes. up? It's your girl. Is that a thing that people say or do? You know, I'm not going to try anymore. Welcome to chapter eight of Fifty Shades of Drinking. First things first, if you follow my Instagram, then you know that today I was late in getting this started filming. I was going to start at 4 p.m. It's 5 p.m. So I got to really make sure I get done before seven because that's when date night starts with my husband. We watched. Jeez, it's, there's more fucking jump cuts than fucking Philip DeFranco. Jesus. <laughs> Every five seconds, there's another cut. Um, and look, like, you know, if you do jump cuts and stuff, that's fine. I can be pretty stilted sometimes. I understand that, you know. So jump cuts might be might be what you have to do to get through it. But you would have thought during one of those jump cuts, I mean, have a look here. Why not fucking clean up the stuff that's on the stove there? Why not do a little bit of tidy up? Look at the place. We've got like a blanket just thrown on the kitchen table. 
We've got dishes on the side of the sink, a basket that's doing God knows what out there in the middle of the floor. I mean, just have a little spruce up in one of those cuts. You're not live. Get the shit done. So we're off to a flying start here. Uh, For the people who are late coming in, yes, this is in fact, we have found an eight-year-old obsolete YouTube channel invented by the inventor of non-binary day. So it's wonderful, isn't it? It's like looking into the past of this, looking into the past of this visionary who would one day change the world. That's what I've got. Changing the world with non-binary day. So it's a wonderful celebration of diversity, which is what we love here on the show. Let's carry on. Things on Discord, long distance, better love story than this for goddamn sure. Uh-huh. So mom wanted to go out on an expedition today because she said she had bought me a gift through a Powell River swap and shop thing. Life in small towns, never boring. I have to show this off. I'll show you what she got me. Weaponry! I mean, paper crafting scissors. Scissors for, for paper crafting. Definitely not weaponry. Yeah, guys. She's a killer. Weaponry. Weaponry. Bring that thing back. Paper crafting scissors. Scissors for, for paper crafting. Ah, uh, yeah, I get not it. Not weaponry. <laughs> cool. And I'm Good certainly one. not going to use every single one of these certainly not. to turn this piece of shite into yes. a collage outlining Colla. my rage and disappointment at the end of this series. No, I'm not. Definitely not. No. Yes, I have a whole bunch of paper crafting scissors. I'm very excited about this. That's I did fantastic. a little more pre-production this time in the hopes that yeah. it will cut down my editing time drastically. I will be... <laughs> We're trying to reduce... Look, I mean, uh, here's a tip to reduce your editing time. Do less jump cuts. If you don't do a jump cut every five seconds, guess what? That's one less edit you need to make. That's how easy it is. Just try and get everything... Just try and get as much done as you can before you record anything. That's the tip. Then you won't need to do 50 fucking cuts a minute. (laughs) editing tomorrow sunday the third hopefully. i mean i should i should show some more respect here though because i am speaking to the inventor of non-binary day so i mean you know i do apologize we'll be posting it by the end of sunday the third because i have done so much pre-production in notes and highlighting and everything uh-huh. else cross your fingers that it works so i didn't pre-game because this chapter mm. is hundred and something. No, not a hundred and something. It's like ten pages. This chapter is endless. It is this thick, which isn't actually that thick, but it has a whopping total of 131 drinks, potentially more. Because when I was going through and finalizing my notes just before I started filming, I found another like three that I missed. Originally, my calculation was 128 drinks, and now it's 131. So no pre-gaming for me. And I am having grower cider, summer peach, which is you know five percent alcohol volume because otherwise I will die.
let's skip ahead here. So what what is she doing? Like alcohol mukbang or something? What is this? I have no idea what this is. So American and speaks like a Brit. Totally American, guys. Totally American. There's a something about biting lips. I am a real American, bisexual, world trans, lesbian. I am a real American, bisexual, trans, lesbian. You get to watch Katja drink herself to death. Let's go. I'm not going to drink myself to death. Well, if Stop I do, doing that. She keeps saying a thing and then saying the opposite thing. She then refers to his bedroom as vast. Vast. I'm in a one room like studio apartment right now and it's fucking big and I would not call it vast. So like I really want to see this condo with a bed. It's all relative. Uh, okay, let's skip ahead. I really want to reread it. I do like some part of myself. I like to keep her sane. This is eight drinks on this page alone with that little highlight. I mean, it's 100 miles an hour. I realized when I was on it. Realized. Okay, let's try something else here. Uh, 50 shades of drinking, 50 shades of drinking. Queer-tastic rainbow suspenders. Comment about how if he hadn't stalked her, then she probably would have been raped by Jose. Oh, here we go. <laughs> All right. Okay. She's a bit, she's a bit edgier back then. Let's have a look. Kate would say, "Hey, so your friend is passed out from alcohol here," and then Kate would be like, "Ah, I will take care of my friend. Thank you for bringing this to my attention." Good for Kate. No, Kate's instead of doing this, which is the common sense thing to do, and also the not douchey, not creepy thing to do, he takes her to his suite at the hotel and yep. strips her and mm -hmm. puts her in his bed. Now, if these people were like longtime friends who had seen each other naked several times and there wasn't already the overtones of. Yeah. Longtime friends. I want you to think of the friend that you have had for the longest time and tell me how many times have you seen them naked? Because I can put my hand on my heart and say, you know, I've had. My longest friend is one of about 35 years, right? since the age of five and I've never seen him naked <laughs> not once <laughs> he might have seen me but I definitely haven't seen you <laughs> you know <laughs> I mean there's a lot of zero talk in the chat <laughs> never Never. Zero. That'd be a zero there, boss. Creepy, controlling, dominating, rapey, Christian McDouche fuck. Then Christian McDouche fuck? Like, okay, Anna and Jose are longtime friends, but they've never seen each other naked, and Jose did just sexually assault her, so that's like a completely different thing. But like, if they really were like longtime friends who just, you know, were basically bros, and the story was about them discovering, oh, we're not just bros, we kind of like each other. Sometimes bros are just bros who have sex with each other. That no, they're not. They're really not. Sometimes bros aren't just bros who just decide to have sex with each other. That's something else entirely, right? That's sexual congress, as it would be described. Fornication. Okay. That's not just bros. Bros, bros is bros. But if you're bros who suck each other's dicks, then you're different. You're a different kind of bros. Yeah. 
you might be a different bro. I'm sad to say. That would be an entirely different thing, and and that would be fine. That would be appropriate. That would be, yeah, I just, you know, yeah. put you to bed. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Do you have any pizza? Mmm, pizza. This, though? This pizza like, gets the taste of dick out of my mouth. And anyway. there's an extra level of douchiness with the whole... But I didn't more greasy. three in my car. Like, do you know how fucking easy leather is to clean? That's why you get leather. It's easy to clean. It's way easier to clean than actual upholstery. Unless, you know, you have, like, fake leather. It's like... You know what I think about sometimes? If you ever want to place yourself in the timeline of existence, do this. Just a little mental exercise, right? When we read about, you know, ancient Rome, for example, we're reading about something, obviously, you know, let's let's go to Caesar, right? Julius Caesar around like 50 BC or thereabouts. So we're talking about something that's happened, you know, over well over 2,000 years ago, right? And in his t- so 2000 years ago he was this guy and he was reading about ancient egypt and ancient greece and the mycenaeans and mesopotamia which happened like 5 or 6000 years before him he was reading ancient history that was three times the distance away from him than he is to us and it's over 2000 years ago and whenever I think about that, I always think how sm- like the world just becomes inst- it becomes one hundred fold larger, right? You shrink into irrelevance, and that's a good thing, right? It's a humbling thing to be like, "Wow, <laughs> we are fucking tiny." We are a p- my old man used to say, "We are a pimple on the asshole of time," <laughs> and he wasn't wrong. And so here we are celebrating, uh, you know. The inventor of non-binary day. Because it's it's incredibly important. This is historic. It will last the ages. And you can go back. Julius Caesar used to write about his campaigns in Gaul and stuff. And, you know, the American founding fathers, for example, they used to write things... They had thesis and, you know, presentation and and works before they wrote the Declaration of Independence and all the other, before they did all the fucking uh, rebellion stuff, right? They were already prolific. So 2,000 years from now, when people are thinking about when did non-binary day start and, you know, why why do we celebrate non-binary day? Put yourself in the year 4,000, 2,000 years from now. They'll be reading about, like we read about Julius Caesar, they'll be reading about the creator of non-binary day. And I'll think, well, what did the inventor of non-binary day do before they invented non-binary day? And it's this. But, you know, you're billionaire, Christian Gates, so you probably have, like, real fucking leather. Actually, even fake leather, I think, is easy to clean. I, I don't know. But we used to have leather couches. You know why? Because we had big, shaggy, messy dogs. Leather couches were easy to clean. And also, you know, didn't like just suck up the dog hair like on a fucking fabric couch would, so. So there are a lot of problems with that. And there's a bunch of unnecessary dialogue and Anna blushes. Perfect. Absolutely fucking perfect. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The inventor of non-binary day, Katya Van Loon. 
absolutely sensational stuff. Let's get to this. Amberlina sent this one through to the Discord this week. Thank you, Amberlina. If you wanna if you wanna drop something in the Discord in a suggestion box, you know how to do it. You know where it is. Feel free. Hamilton Heights. Curry and Bodega. Dun, 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 dun. Hamilton Heights Bodega worker charged with murder after stabbing man who attacked him behind a counter. Well, clearly the the aggressor. <laughs> man, I'm not even surprised about these stories anymore. You know, we we had the term a few years ago talking about oh, people are getting red pilled, right? Well. My my one of my quote unquote red pill moments wasn't in 2016. It would have been in like 1999 or something when I was a teenager, and I remember hearing a story in the states. I read it in the newspaper. This guy broke into somebody's house right through the roof. You might know this story because I think it was pretty famous at the time. Although my timeline might be a little askew, but it was it was years and years and years ago. So. This guy broke into somebody's house through the roof and he fell through the roof and broke his leg in on the kitchen floor, right? So obviously the homeowners woke up, found this, this thief laying there screaming because his leg was broken. The police came and arrested him and then picked him up, took him off to hospital. But then he later sued the building company <laughs> because he, he sued them because the building was uh, not up to safe uh, state standards and he won like $200,000 they had to pay him off the, the guy who was in there to steal shit and when I, I heard that that was one of my red pill moments I was like wow that's fucking ridiculous how how can that happen <laughs> and that's that's your first domino that's when you start looking into things and you're like, hang on, there's a lot of these kinds of cases going on. What the fuck is this? What, you're not allowed to defend yourself anymore? No, of course not. Definitely not. So it's just, this this, this story does not surprise me at all. Of course I find it horrific, but we're, I, you know, we're desensitized to this shit now. It happens all the time. Hamilton Heights bodega worker charged with murder after stabbing a man who attacked him. That should be the end of the story. That's the end of the article. That's it. What what, what else? The case closed, Your Honour. Are you not going to call it? I don't have to call any witnesses. That's Everybody acknowledges that's what happened. He stabbed a guy after he attacked him. Right? That's it. Get the hell out of here. Go back to work, mate. End of fucking discussion. Apparently not. Oh, no. Well, that took... That depends on what the definition of is is. Let's have a look here. Good evening. I'm Dana Tyler. Christine and Maurice are off tonight. Prosecutors say it all started with an argument over a declined card. CBS 2's Ali Bauman is live now in Hamilton Heights with these fast-breaking developments. Ali. Dana, Jose Alba was able to make bail tonight thanks to his family and his boss here at the bodega who split the cost. The deli- oh, Split the cost. That's nice of him. Fucking time. Split the cost? Uh, shouldn't the owner just be fucking... This guy defended your property. 
He's he got he copped a murder charge defending your shitty store, and and this boss walks in and goes, "You know what I'm gonna do for you, Pablo? I'm gonna pay half of that." <laughs> Fucking prick. <laughs> Has anybody said anything? What an asshole. Hey. I mean, I would be there saying, man, don't worry, your hospital bills, we're going to take care of this. We're going to take care of you. Don't worry about a lawyer. I know a lawyer. (laughs) Trust me, I own a bodega. (laughs) Right? Wow. What a son of a bitch. I'll pay half. Oh, fucking generous man. Dana, Jose Alba was able to make bail tonight thanks to his family and his boss here at the bodega who split the cost. The deli clerk stayed silent walking back into his apartment building tonight after spending five days behind bars. Alba is charged with second degree murder. (laughs) There was a case here in Australia a few years ago, a pretty famous one. I can't remember the details, but if you look, if you look, if you put the certain terms into Google, you'll probably find it. Uh, I think it was like a female security guard. Foggy might remember this. A, a, a female security guard, I think. And someone shot at her or something, and she shot back. And they tried to uh, pin a murder charge on her as well. And she had to fight it for years. I mean, it's it's a scary thought that your you know your life can be you you haven't asked you haven't sought out any confrontation the confrontation has come to you and in an effort to prevent your life being prematurely ended you do what's necessary you probably you didn't want to do it in the first place you didn't go looking for it right and then the police arrive and say are you okay and you go yeah and good and then they handcuff you. got to come with us sir what are you supposed to do what are you supposed to do and you know people people god bless them will say shit like oh we got the constitution so that doesn't matter it does matter because look they'll just they lawyer around you you know what i mean they'll use the public service to just change like regulations on, a, on on acquiring a permit and stuff like that and they'll just chip away chip away chip away They'll pass some little, you know, kind of side law that nobody really pays attention to. A minor restriction on how many, you know, rounds of ammunition you can import at any given time through the fucking, you know, rail terminal or some shit. And then it, it just builds and builds and builds. And 10 years later, you look around and you go, wait, where the fuck is everything going? Like, how, how did they do this? They can't do that. And it's like, well, they can now because of what they've been doing for the last 10 years. Frozen Asian in the chat. Good to see you, Frozo. I've been, I haven't talked to Frozo for a while. Good to see you, young man. Thank you for joining us. So, again, not surprised by any of it. But customers, legal experts, and even the mayor agree. The surveillance video shows that this case is not so cut and dry. Surveillance video shows 37-year-old Austin Simon going behind the bodega counter. He shoves the clerk, 51-year-old Jose Alba, into a chair, then hovers over him. Moments later, Simon seemingly pulls Alba up by his shirt collar and the two men wrestle. We're freezing the video before the clerk pulls out a knife and stabs Simon multiple times. Yep. Yep. And 
And what's the problem? <laughs> what am I missing here? Behind the counter. Yes. Attacked him. Yes. Got stabbed. All right. Well, you know. I mean, I feel like an idiot saying it, but... Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> um... Yeah. The first thing that you feel is you first about your life. So you're going to do whatever is, is possible for you to defend yourself. This happened late Friday night in the Blue Moon convenience store off West 139th Street. When police arrived, they found Simon bleeding from two stab wounds in his chest and one in his neck. He later died at the hospital. And okay, so we're lighting candles for the guy who attacked the... That's what we're doing. <laughs> Lighting candles for the attacker. Uh, check out DA Bragg and all the stupid things he's done. He wouldn't be the guy who said that he's not going to prosecute any of the New York riders, would he? Name sounds familiar. Because I seem to recall a story when the riots were going on that the DA came out and said, we actually stand with the protesters. <laughs> while, they were, while they were looting fucking Victoria's Secret on Broadway. Hartley Taylor, uh, the assaulter is the victim. Well, that gets back to uh, what's called critical legal theory. Critical legal studies, CLS. If you look up like Stanford um, law papers and stuff, they talk about critical legal studies or critical legal theory. Essentially what you're saying, that's essentially what it is. Um, people become... People become perpetrators because of the oppressions inherent in society force them to be. Therefore, they are actually not the perpetrator but the victim and the person they are robbing is the perpetrator because of unearned uh, privilege and whatnot. That's what critical legal... That's basically what it boils down to. The perpetrator is the victim and the victim is the perpetrator. That was another... because You know how, you know how I, I started reading about critical legal studies and whatnot? It was when I was looking up Legally, how could a thief <laughs> sue the building company <laughs> when they break into the roof? Right? That was my first rabbit hole. Which led to critical legal studies, and then it gets a whole lot scarier from there. Trust me. Let's carry on. And the NYPD arrested Alba, the deli clerk, for second-degree murder. Alba's customers are coming to his defense. Very good people. Very, very good people. Well, the man is defending himself. He have a right to defend himself. Do you think you should have been arrested? Now this, I want to know what this guy... <laughs> now, I, I, look, I can tell a face straight up. I'm pretty good at summing someone up when I see him. This guy is not even from this area. This, this guy just wanted to be on TV, trust me. <laughs> he's not even a local. I bet you that's why he's got the hat backwards, because it's probably a Chicago, uh, Chicago Bulls cap. <laughs> he's from Chicago. Uh, it looks like a it looks like a Red Wings or something, a little emblem on the side there, maybe. I can't tell. But I don't reckon he's even from here. He just saw the cameras and thought, hell yeah, I'm going to get my ass on television. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Have a look. For murder? Nah. Nah. <laughs>
He had he didn't even know what she was talking about. <laughs> Do you think this man should be you you've heard of the famous case of the guy in the bodega? Do you think he should be put away for murder? Uh, nah, man. Himself. <laughs> Do you think he should have been arrested for murder? Nah. Nah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your invaluable commentary, sir. Local local adds to discussion, end quote. Nah. Since his arraignment this weekend, Alba was being held on a quarter million dollars bail. Prosecutors said the altercation began when the victim's girlfriend tried buying a snack for her daughter, but the card was declined. <laughs> come on, bro. Why don't you just give her the snack? Like, come on, man. It's $2. The card's declined. Come on. Just give it to her. You, you got the money. Am I, am I close? <laughs> Come on, man. It's two bucks. Just give it to her. You've got the money. You own this. You own all this damn store. Something like that. Yo, I'm going to come back there and I'm going to get the, the chocolate. I'm going to get the candy myself. Am I getting close? <laughs> did anyone did anyone see the video? I think it was last week of the, the chicks gone wild in the French fry place in New York. Because apparently the, the guy who runs the place said you've got to pay like 50 cents for sauce. So they tore the fucking joint apart. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> It's jungle out there. The clerk then took the snack back from the child, according to prosecutors, and they left. Minutes later, Simon walked in and went behind the counter of the store to confront the clerk. I saw him as a hard-working, innocent New Yorker that a person went behind the counter and attacked him. Thursday. Yeah, Eric Adams, this needs to be right up your alley because Eric Adams is crazy, isn't he? But wasn't he also the guy who was like, yeah, you should fucking shoot him. <laughs> you know? Wasn't he like, isn't he a pro-gun guy, isn't he? Or, or have I got that wrong? Because I thought he was like an ex-cop and stuff and he was like, actually, we should give people more guns and it'll be safer. Isn't he one of those? Ones? But he's still a Democrat, obviously. So this is right up his alley, isn't it? He should be like, hell no. That ain't happening. Don't know. Interesting. Person went behind the counter and attacked Frozen Asian, he was pro-gun. There you go. judge lowered Alba's bail to $50,000 at the request of the defense counsel and district attorney. We were there as Alba returned home from Rikers Island hours later. The DA's office says even before the public outcry, they look at this, look at this, hounding him like he's the criminal. Look at this. You, you, you can't always see society changing in statistics, but you can always see it in how we treat each other, right? Look at where we are. This guy's defending himself, and they're, you know. Mr. Polo, Mr. Polo, do you regret killing him, sir? Right? How long do we, we have to spend in prison, sir? Sir, can you answer a few questions? Right? Been working on a new bail package that would be the least restrictive alternative to assure his return to court on this serious matter. Serious matter. The DA will have to disprove, effectively prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this defendant was not acting in self-defense. 
Legal expert Dmitry Shaknovic says thanks to the video, prosecutors will likely have a tough time proving their case. The law says that you have to retreat. In this- it's not even a tough time proving their case. It's the fact that he's being charged in the first place. Like, what, is someone trying to make a name for themselves or something? That's often what that this is, isn't it? Someone's like, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll take it on. I think there's a case there. Ah, oh, you're mad. I'll do, I'll do it. I'll go for it. Hey, I'm, I'm really gunning for that promotion. I want to make state's attorney by the time I'm 35. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me. In this particular case, he couldn't really do that. As part of his... There you go. So, freedom's in a good state, ladies and gentlemen. This was also sent through by Amberlino. Pest Company says it will pay you $2,000 to release 100 cockroaches into your home and study what happens. <laughs> Strange things going on out there. A pest company based out of North Carolina is offering to pay $2,000 for homeowners to allow it to release cockroaches into their house. (laughs) The company, the pest informer, said on its website that it's looking for about five to seven households that will allow pest technicians to put about 100 American cockroaches into the house. Only tiny little things, the American cockroaches, aren't they? Not like ours. Ours ours are built like Shetland ponies. (laughs) Yours are these tiny little bugs. It's nuts. A spokesperson for the Pest Informer did not respond to a request for comment from Insider ahead of publication. The company also said the process will allow it to study, quote, a specific pest control technique. The study will take about 30 days and will require technicians to film the process. Okay. So, now, you see, you didn't mention the cameras, did you, at the start? (laughs) $2,000. We're going to pay you $2,000 to release 100 cockroaches into your home. Okay, well, you know what? Are you going to kill them afterwards? Yeah, we will. Ah, you know what? I probably won't even notice them. All right, sounds good. Great. We're also going to film you. What? Nothing. Now, I thought this story was fantastic. Let's get into the racism, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, actually, should we should we get into the racism? Oh, okay. Look, we were just talking about guns, weren't we? Because the Minister of Funds sent this thing through, and I think we might have a look at this first, actually. The Minister of Funds sent me this and said, this is a good uh, campaign ad. You know I love political campaign commercials, right? Every single time there's an election, we look for the worst, the absolute worst of the political campaign commercials. It's one of my favourite things to do. Uh, So the Minister of Funds sent me through this one. I haven't watched it yet. Let's have a look. I don't know if this is a good one or a bad one. Democrats like to (laughs) say... What? We're off to a flying start, are we? (laughs) Wow. God bless you, America. See, stuff like that would never happen in this country. In this country, we're way too more... We're more... Our politics is a lot more British. You know what I mean? It's a lot more stuffy. (laughs) You guys seem to have fun when you do elections, <laughs> which I've always loved. The I've always loved the enthusiasm, the fireworks and the flags and all that kind of shit. We don't really do that here. So it's a lot more, it's a mo- it's a lot more kind of stiff upper lip here than it is over there. 
Democrats what? like to say that no one needs an AR-15 for self-defense. He's got that no one could possibly need all 30 rounds. But when this rifle is the only thing standing between your family and a dozen angry Democrats in clan hoods. <laughs> thinking where is he going with this <laughs> it's a fucking goat a fucking goat outside it's just a goat no it's a fucking goat <laughs> it's a fucking goat Democrats like to say that no one needs an AR-15 for self-defense. That no so, one could. He's, so his campaign ad. This this is this is meta as fuck. Meta as fuck. So it's so it's a black guy gunning down KKK members. Yay, Democrat! Wait, he's using a gun. Boo! But he's got he's he's attacking the KKK. Yay! <laughs> This is inception level of meta. Okay, so we got to. So we need to celebrate black people getting into politics, but we can't be supporting violence, but we can be supporting violence against the KKK because fuck the KKK, but we don't want more guns, but we want empowered black men. What the fuck are we going to do? What are we going to do? <laughs> I love it. So in his political campaign commercial, he's going to be. He's going to be mowing down, <laughs> mowing down a, a battalion of, of people with his AK, with his AR-15. But it's okay. They're KKK. <laughs> it's okay. They're white supremacists. It doesn't matter. It's good. Wait, is it? I don't know. <laughs> There's a fucking goat outside. Outside. It's just a goat. No, it's a fucking goat. Possibly need all 30 rounds. But when this rifle is the only thing standing between your family and a dozen angry Democrats in clan hoods, you just might need that semi-automatic. Look at this. In all 30 rounds. <laughs> Jerome for congress.com. All right, now we have to look. Now we have to look. Fuck me. Have a look. Oh, look at this. Look at this. Changing the game. <laughs> Representing Arizona. Uh, you know what I like straight away? Doesn't say what party he's in, does it? Look, there's no, there's nothing here, Democrat or Republican. <laughs> we can guess by the Happy fact that he was Hanukkah, mowing Hanukkah. them down. Oh,
winning TV tipped $5. Left wing boog guy, right wing boog guy. Thank you for keeping me entertained whilst I work. Thank you for joining us. Funny goats scream like humans. There's a fucking goat outside. It's a fucking goat outside. It's just a goat. No, it's a fucking goat. <laughs> it's a fucking goat. All right, where is he? Jerome. Representing Arizona. Protect freedom, spiritual uplift. Yep. All right. Internet Bill of Rights. Okay, let's see what he's got for us, Jerome. One of the biggest problems Go that many of us are facing is internet censorship. Yeah. Millions of people are being purged from the internet for no good reason at all. Our elected officials have been ignoring this major issue for a long time. They think that since the big tech titans are private corporations, that they can do whatever they want. And that if we don't like it, we should start our own thing. That is a totally misguided approach because these tech titans are richer and more powerful than any company in the history of the world. They operate in every country They have the power to make or break most businesses, to swing elections, and even start wars. We cannot allow them to separate and divide us any longer. We need to level the playing field. It's time to call these social media companies what they are, public utilities. Public utilities are companies that operate at a monopoly scale because they offer services that we cannot live without. In the same way, You cannot run a business, a nonprofit, or a political campaign without electricity or a telephone. You can't run any of those things without social media in 2022. Social media is the modern day public square. It is access to the market and it is the keys to power. Barack Obama got elected because of social media. Yes, but can I just say, private company, bro. Uh, private company, man. Um, actually, actually, it's a private company, bro. Oh, funny thing happened to me last week, if you want a quick little story. Very funny thing. There was, there was, oh, fuck, what was the article? It was about, it was an article from The Hill, right? And it was about, I think the Dallas Cowboys had signed a sponsorship deal with Black Rifle Coffee, uh, Coffee Company, right? And I sarcastically uh, replied to the tweet something like, it's a private company, bro. If you don't like who their sponsors are, start your own football team. And <laughs> the, black, the, black, the, the Black Rifle cup, uh, Coffee Company liked the reply. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're reading the replies. <laughs> I thought that was so fucking funny because I was it, one one person liked it and it was the Black Rifle Coffee Company. <laughs> I don't think they got what I was saying really. It's okay. <laughs> nice to know they're in the replies. Check it out. Social media. Donald Trump got elected because of social media. That's why the establishment spent the last six years doing everything they can yep. to censor those who question them, whether it is RussiaGate, COVID, Ukraine, or January 6th. They will use any excuse they can to consolidate power and to shut off anyone who opposes them. That's why we need to come together as Americans and put our foot down before it's too late. Enough is enough. The power company can't cut off your power because they don't like your politics. 
The phone company cannot cut off your telephone because they don't like your politics. So the social media companies should not be able to cancel you because they don't like your politics. I mean, as much as I dislike it, I kind of... It's got a point. I don't like it. I don't like the situation that we're in. I think it's terrible, but he's got a point. I don't know. It's one of those ones where I don't know what to do. Because the general rule of thumb is anything the government touches, they fuck it up. So you would have to go into some kind of internet bill of rights knowing that in some way the government is going to fuck something. They they always do. There will be some kind of unenvisaged, uh, you know, oversight. There'll be some kind of unintended consequence and something will be fucking ruined. I tend to think once you step down the path of regulating the internet, then you start regulating the content in a different way, right? An internet bill of rights or otherwise, I mean, the bill of rights only goes so far. Bill of rights and the constitution, right? It only matters if people believe in it. It's like Santa Claus. It it only matters. It it only matters if people are willing to follow it. If people aren't willing to follow it, then they'll just change it. They'll just change the rules. They don't care, or they'll find a way around it. You know, that's the difficulty of these things. So I don't know, but I like him. I like his moxie. I like his attitude, and I and I love this. (laughs) This here, one more time. It's a fucking goat outside. Democrats like to say that no one needs an AR-15 for self-defense. That no one could possibly need all 30 rounds. But when this rifle is the only thing standing between your family and a dozen angry Democrats in clan hoods, you just might need that semi-automatic. For the sunnies. In all 30 rounds. All 30 rounds. There you go. Fantastic stuff. Um, all right. Where were we? What should we do? I've got a lot of racism to get through. <clears throat> Thought this article was fun. We've all seen the the taco line. We mentioned it in the start of the show. But this is where it starts getting to absurd levels. MSNBC, ladies and gentlemen, listen, you're going to love this. Jill Biden's taco gaffe exposes how Democrats fail Latinos. But the GOP can't say smack. Smack. I love now that MSNBC is embracing street talk. Jill Biden's taco gaffe exposes Democrats' failure. But are Republicans really the right ones to criticize? <laughs> well, that's that's that but that's the criticism. The criticism is that you're always criticizing. And now you're not. That's the criticism. MSNBC tweeted this story out and it was like, you know, where was the Republican outrage when Trump was saying things? And it's like, the Republicans aren't outraged by what Jill Biden said. They're fucking laughing at her. There's a difference. You're the ones that get outraged all the time. You're the ones that get really offended by things. And it's not... It's not Democrat Republican necessary. It's definitely the media who farms outrage for its own ends, right? For its own money making exercises. You love outrage. <laughs> it's you're the ones that get outraged about racist comments. When Jill Biden said this, everyone just fucking laughed at her. 
said, <laughs> what a dumb idiot, you know? <laughs> now that First Lady Jill Biden has apologised for saying Latinos are as unique as breakfast tacos, it's time to pause from the latest manufactured right-wing outrage. <laughs> And examine why her comments, although slightly problematic, pale in comparison to years of even more dangerous rhetoric against a community still fighting back against lazy stereotypes. There you have it. It's not that bad because you are worse. Right? Now... Regardless, suffice to say that if you were to do this, you would just be told whataboutism. <laughs> but we don't use that term here because whataboutism is not a real thing. The political world was in flames because... It, listen to this garbage. The political world was in flames because Biden and her speechwriters said in the friendly confines of the annual UNIDOS US conference in San Antonio that Latinos in the United States were as distinct as the bodegas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. How about this? The black community in Alabama is as unique as fried chicken. Look at me. I love black Right? Nothing wrong with that. Biden's wor- uh, words led Senator Mark Rubio, the Florida Republican, to tweet a photo of a taco. Oh, how offensive. Cassie Garcia, a Latino Republican and former staffer for said, uh, Ted Cruz running for Congress in Texas, started selling unique as a taco campaign T-shirts. See, they're making fun of you. This is not outrage. This is making fun of you. Okay. Oh, look at this. Oh, this is lovely. So they've actually put because th- this whole ar- this whole article is arguing that well, she might have said that, but Trump is worse basically. I know you are, but what am I? Is it's the corporate media version of that. And they've given us a 30-second clip here to compare Donald Trump's awful racism. Let's have a look. Wonderful. Let's see here. Tonight, Dr. Jill Biden learning a painful political lesson. The first first lady to work outside the White House teaching at a Virginia community college. Apologizing for a misstep Monday. A misstep. (laughs) (laughs) I got to get a drink. A speech to the nation's largest Latino civil rights group intended to celebrate the community's diversity. Yeah. Your fight is our fight, and we will stand is it with you. Making headlines. <laughs> How nice of them to show the important parts of the speech. Lines for a controversial comment after fumbling the pronunciation of New York's famed bodegas. The diversity of this community. As distinct as the Bogodas of the Bogoda, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. The audience (laughs) cheered, but the scripted (laughs) comment generated backlash on social media. One prominent Hispanic group encouraging the First Lady and her team to take time to better understand the complexities of our people and communities, adding, (laughs) we are not tacos. (laughs) 
<laughs> Dr. Biden's spokesman today tweeting, the first lady apologizes that her words conveyed anything but pure admiration and love for the Latino community. Doctor- now, see, now, see, did she apologize? Because that's not her apologizing, is it? Don't you love these little things that they do? The first lady apologizes that her words conveyed anything. No, 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 but you're apologizing. That's different. So she didn't actually apologize for anything. You see, see how they are so Machiavellian. They're so good at this kind of stuff, right? They're, they're like they're like ancient Roman emperors. No, I can't make an announcement. I would appear weak, right? You make the announcement. You tell them that I apologize, but I don't apologize. You tell them that I'm sorry. But I'm not saying I'm sorry because I look weak. If you tell them, I'm, you know, it's restored. We put an end to the news cycle. It's fascinating. Community. Dr. Biden has been a relentless advocate for her husband's agenda, visiting 40 states in less than 18 months. Oh, good for her. She's doing wonderful things. There you have, ladies and gentlemen. Brings us to this one. Now, I think, I can't remember who sent this one through. I think this one had been uh, Amber Luna as well. Was it? No, maybe I found this one. (laughs) Pro-white flyers show up in Danvers, ladies and gentlemen. Let's have a look. A white supremacist group is spreading more hateful flyers in Massachusetts. Danvers police say the National Social Club, which describes itself as being pro-white, is leaving materials at homes. Earlier this month, the same group left flyers in Ipswich and Hamilton. The flyers encourage men of European descent to join. If you have any information about where these flyers came from, you're asked to call Danvers police. I mean, first shark of the season. Uh, and has I mean, been tagged you know. off the coast of the Cape, the Massachusetts Division of... If if you... <laughs> let, me, let me put it this way. If you were handed a flyer, right, and it said, young... Calling all white men of European descent, are you, are you into right-wing politics? Do you like to talk in right-wing chat rooms? <laughs> Come down here and meet us. Meet us at this... Meet us at this meeting hall at midnight on Saturday. It's just right next door to the police station. You can't miss it. Make sure you make sure you wear your jeans, shorts, sunglasses and diving watch. That is our dress code <laughs> to get in. And I mean, if you're going to do that, then you probably deserve to be. It's very silly. Very silly individual. Starbucks to close. This was sent through by the Minister of Fun, Kimmy. Starbucks to close 16 US stores because of crime and rampant drug use. Do you remember a couple of years ago, we did a show about this. When they said that they were... You remember... The whole reason behind the Starbucks racism thing that happened a few years ago was because some guys were loitering in the toilets. Many people suspected doing drugs, right? And one of the employees asked them to kindly, please, if you're not going to um, purchase anything, please get out of the store. To which they said, 
uh, they were victims of racism. And then it was people were getting free coffees if they were black. And it was a whole fucking, a whole shit show after that. The Starbucks CEO put uh, all the employees through diversity training. Do you remember? It was an ongoing saga. And they said, okay, from now on, uh, people in the community can just come in and hang out at Starbucks and we're not going to ask them to leave and they can use our bathrooms whenever you want, all right? And people at the time said, well, this is going to potentially create problems. And they were dismissed as being racists and right-wing conspiracy theorists and whatnot. So here's an update. Thank you, Minister of Fun, for the update. Let's have a look at what Starbucks is doing now. Oh, as soon as we get sound. By the end of the month, the company will close five. Five. Closing several of its stores in the Puget Sound area over safety concerns. By the end of the month, the company will close five stores in Seattle and one location in Everett. John Hopperstead outside one of the more prominent Starbucks that is scheduled to close down. John, good morning. Good morning to you. At the end of the month, we're here at the one at Westlake Center, the Starbucks behind me here. Really popular spot here, but there are oh, concerns like about crime, assaults, thefts, drug use as well. And Starbucks says it made the decision to close certain locations based on how many criminal complaints were made and whether stores could successfully lower those crime rates. <laughs> Because remember, back in the time, uh, remember they fired. Didn't they fire the Starbucks employee who told the guys to leave the store, right? And it turned out she wasn't a racist or anything. She was just working alone in this Starbucks. And these two dudes were hanging in there for hours looking shifty and she didn't like it. And she was like, "Get, can you please leave? It made her uncomfortable, right? So she got fired. She was accused of being a racist. Turned out she was a bleeding heart liberal the whole time, right? She just felt uncomfortable. And that was another sweet irony of it. It's like, well, in order to not appear racist now, we have to uh, let women feel like they're in danger, which again is something else that you're trying to crusade against, right? So it doesn't matter what they do. It's it's wrong, <laughs> okay? And, and now what? Here we are three years later. Look at this. We're closing stores because of safety concerns. Are you succumbing to your own Cassandra syndrome? Now, Starbucks stores closing in Seattle include locations in the central area, Capitol Hill, and in the Roosevelt neighborhood as well. There's also one location in Everett that is closing over crime concerns. Starbucks interim CEO Howard Schultz says as they close these stores, they also plan to boost security and redesign many of the locations to make them safer for the public and the employees, and that may include closing cafe bathrooms to the public. <laughs> what, do you, what do you say? What do you say? It's not the fact that it's happening, right? We expected it to happen. We knew it would happen. That's not the thing. The the insulting part is them pretending like it never happened. You know what I mean? Pretending like this conversation wasn't already had three years ago when you changed the rules in the first place to not be racist. 
oh, we can't, we can't have this rule. If people want to come in and use the bathroom, it's, you know, we don't want to be racist. We don't want to start judging people. Okay, fine. But at some point, you'll, you'll have to succumb because people will be doing drugs in there and shit. <laughs> no, 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 that's racist. Okay. And now, fuck me dead, two or three years later, here we are. Oh, look, we may have to close the bathrooms for, uh, you know, safety concerns. <laughs> completely, completely not acknowledging even in the slightest that we've already been here, we've already done. That's the insulting part. The gaslighting. They really do have, you know, we, we really are a society of goldfish. Three second memory. And whatever the story is this week, that's what we, we believe. That's what we remember. World history started in 1965. <laughs> yeah. There was no there was no safety concern at Starbucks, uh, you know, three years ago, which led to the rule being in there in the first place, which we then rescinded because we don't want to be racist. That has nothing to do with it. I don't even know what you're talking about. In a letter to employees, Schultz says, today we find ourselves in a position where we must modernize and transform the Starbucks experience in our stores and recreate it. Okay, so let me get this right. This this is this is the kind of PR that only a company the size of Starbucks could afford. This is the type of PR you sell your yacht to buy. Today we find ourselves in a position where we must modernize and transform the Starbucks experience. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That that kind of that kind of abuse outright, downright arrogant and obnoxious abuse of the English language gets me hard, I'm not gonna lie. I, I tip my hat to you. That is a propagandist of skill unknown. Today, we find ourselves in a position where we must modernize and transform the Starbucks experience <laughs> in our stores and recreate an environment that is relevant, welcoming, and safe, where we uplift one another with dignity, respect, and kindness. Trust me, they're going to have bank teller-like iron bars in these fucking... <laughs> in these Starbucks stores. They will be behind bulletproof glass and you'll have to talk to them via a prison phone. If you want to use the bathroom, they'll have to buzz you in. And the big iron locks on the door will retract. And one of the officers must go into the bathroom with you because we don't know what you're taking out of your bum. It might not be the right thing. An environment that is relevant, welcoming and safe and where we uplift one another with dignity, respect, and kindness. Now, two of the Seattle so stores closing are so now... So by doing this, we're also going to change the fucking world, which is a plus, isn't it? There's a fucking goat outside. It's a fucking goat outside. It's just a goat. No, it's a fucking goat. <laughs> it's a fucking goat. Unionize and workers can try to negotiate to keep those stores open but these closures come as the national labor relations board takes starbucks to court over its apparent attempts to block unionization efforts and union leaders are saying on social media this morning that starbucks is quote blatantly breaking the law and not bargaining in good faith fascinating fascinating for starbucks
Is Ms. Marvel enough to make up for the MCU's past, ladies and gentlemen? You know that you know that racist institution known as the Marvel Cinematic Universe? <laughs> At some point, at some point, the rest of society will come to the conclusion. Like this, this what we're seeing here, the, you know, the, the, par- the parade of racism, it's not going to last forever because at some point, the rest of society is going to stop and go, they're never happy. <laughs> and just because you're complaining doesn't mean that anybody should care anymore. Right, that's going to happen because when you, when you, when you accuse Marvel of all of all people, Marvel of having the racist past, it's too ridiculous to go along with. <laughs> Foggy, really targeting your core audience here, Marvel. <laughs> Look at this. Is Ms. Marvel enough to make up for the MCU's past? For years, Marvel worked overtime to vilify Muslim-coded characters. Ah, yes, Marvel. Marvel, the great insulters of Islam. Fuck me. And that's what I'm saying, man. Some There's just no pleasing some people. <laughs> For some people, everything will not be enough. And at some point, the rest of society is going to go, okay, we've done enough. We've tried enough. Now, you're on your own. That will happen. This isn't going to last forever. It's just when, not if. As the opening credits of Ms. Marvel flashes through an array of vibrant title cards in Urdu, Hindi, Bengali, and more... It's clear that this TV show isn't like other Marvel shows. Pardon me. What says uh, sets the series apart is the rich, intricate portrayal of the life of its Pakistani Muslim superhero, Kamala Khan. It's replete with details that scream lived experience. Streaming in biryani and bags, stolen shoes at the mosque, and an expertly chosen soundtrack featuring sweatshop boys and AR Rahman. But... For many brown and Muslim viewers, brown and Muslims, okay, we're just, you know, creating, we're doing merging again. Identity merging, okay. But for many brown and Muslim viewers, seeing ourselves in the Marvel Cinematic Universe hasn't always been such a joyous experience. For years, the MC worked overtime to vilify Muslim-coded characters. Do you know what? White guys were bad guys in a lot of movies too when I was growing up. You know that, right? I mean, it's usually the. Hey, trust me, as someone who has like, um, whose family has like a German background, <laughs> white guys with German accents who are villains is pretty much my childhood, right? Right. Pretty much. Look, you can't watch a movie about World War Two without seeing a German portrayed as a bad guy, <laughs> and that's not fair. That's not right. Seems like those chaps down at the historical archive were working overtime to vilify German Australians. <laughs> were they? I should have them arrested. Hey, I could have had them arrested back in the good old days. You know when they, 
Remember those days? 1939. <laughs> in Miss in Marvel's third episode, federal agents from the Department of Damage Control stride into Kamala's mosque, investigating reports of an enhanced individual. They speak to the mosque's imam with visible disdain and respond to the request to come back with a warrant and with surprise and scorn. If only that were true. In truth, the FBI and other government departments loved the Muslims. <laughs> they did. If you don't, then why were they giving them so much money <laughs> and training and arms? They love the Muslims. It is a sick joke that you have been led to believe that the American government dislikes Muslims. <laughs> I don't know where you got that from, but they are—they are almost. They're almost got a fucking deciding vote in running your country. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. There's a lot of Muslim love in the United States government. Joe Biden's over there right now. Over there talking to the Muslims. He loves them. You people are nuts. They speak to the mosque's imam with visible disdain and respond to the request to come back with a warrant with surprise and scorn. In an earlier scene, one of the agents remarked that to approve the mosque trip, they need only ask a friend at the FBI, since they've probably had the mosque under surveillance for years. Episode by episode, it's clear that the series is using Kamala's culture and faith as tools rather than passing references. There is a determined effort here to chip away at negative perceptions of both Desi and Muslim communities, perceptions that Marvel had a grim and undeniable hand in shaping. <laughs> Yes, that's right. That's right. You heard it correctly. Do not adjust your speakers, ladies and gentlemen. The reason for anti-Islamic uh, fervor and sentiment in the community is it was caused by Marvel in the first place. Listen to this. <laughs> Remember the bearded Urdu and Arabic-speaking terrorist group that kidnapped Tony Stark and trapped him in a cave in Iron Man? So this is the thing. They... <laughs> That was a vicious stereotype. <laughs> oh my God. You're right. There are no terrorist groups. I don't know why we did that. I guess we just made it up. There's no such thing as an Arabic terrorist group. Never has been. Not now, nor how. While Stark may have emerged relatively unscathed, he had shrapnel in his heart. They had to connect a car battery to a magnet to stop him from dying and strap it to his chest. Relatively unscathed. While Stark, I don't think she's seen the movie. While Stark may have emerged relatively unscathed, going on to spearhead our favourite superhero team, it came at the expense of the continued dehumanisation of already marginalised communities. I'm done. I'm done. Pack it up. We're done. That's it. We're out of here. What the hell? How the hell can you follow that? <laughs> Ms. Marvel, is it enough to make up for the MCU's past? Fantastic. Uh, a little more racism. Now I'll bring you down under here. Racist Queensland creeks are set to be renamed. We're renaming the rivers now. The 
Queensland government says Blackfellows Creek and Black and Black. I don't know what the word is. G O G asterisk asterisk. There's there's some kind of slur that I can't. I'm not aware of. Blackfellows Creek and Black Something Creek are set to formally return. Can't you just tell me? We're all adults here, aren't we? I mean, I, can't you just write it? It would make things so much easier. I mean, we acknowledge the word exists. Not saying it isn't going to change that. It's always going to be there, <laughs> even if we don't spell it. I mean, it's this. I blame Harry Potter for this, for this this trend that we've seen in journalism in the last 10 years where we won't actually write the word that was said because the word that was said was too offensive to be said, therefore we can't write it. But I'm always like, well, you're reporting on it. You can write it. You have to write it. If it's so offensive, don't people need to know, right? So you should write what what was actually said. So I blame Harry Potter because this is like the Voldemort treatment. Oh, as, as long as we don't write Voldemort down, he won't come back. <laughs> as long as we don't write these words, then they can't hurt anybody. We shall never speak of it again. It's childish. It's childish. Two creeks which were given racist names during the 19th century Australia are on their way to being renamed. I mean, who cares, right? Like, like who cares if the if the creeks get renamed? I don't care. You can call it you can call it Whoop Whoop Creek. I don't care. Makes no difference to me. Two creeks which were given racist names during the 19th century Australia are on their way to being renamed after a push from local Aboriginal communities in Queensland. Blackfellows Creek near Cairns first appeared on the map in about 1883, but local elders from the area said it's been known by the Yindi name of Banaginjana which means cassowary for thousands of years. Uh, Black G Creek also started to appear in maps of Longreach at the same time. The word, and they still don't spell it out, is a derogatory word for an Aboriginal woman. So there you go. Renaming creeks because of racism. Now this one is especially good. You're going to love this. Another, Another one from Australia, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Climate change is white colonisation of the atmosphere. It's time to tackle this entrenched racism. I'm just going to let you chew on that one for a moment. I want you to chew on that delicious bone for a moment, if you would. Climate change is white colonisation of the atmosphere. It's time to tackle this entrenched racism. (sighs) Let's get started. Oh, I need to stretch for this one, I think. Climate change is racist. So reads the title of a recent book by British journalist Jeremy Williams. While this might seem provocative, I I wouldn't say provocative is the the right word. Stupid. (laughs) Ridiculous. Silly. Uh, absurd, stupid, uh, insane, thoughtless, mindless, um, you know, those are words that spring to mind. <laughs> Confusing is a good one, maybe. While this title might seem provocative, 
it's long been recognised that people of cover, uh, cover, people of colour suffer disproportionate harms under climate change, and this is likely to worsen in the coming decades. However, most rich white countries, including Australia, I thought we were a multicultural country. Are we not? It's it's interesting to it's interesting that two people can say the same sentence and receive completely different consequences from saying it. If 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 the wrong person got up and said Australia is a white country, they would be fired from their job and vilified as a racist. But if you're criticizing Australia, then you're celebrated for you're you're celebrated as speaking truth to power when you call it a white country. Isn't that funny? So for this group over here, calling Australia a white country is a near-on criminal offence. For this group over here, calling Australia a white country is speaking truth. Which one is it? <laughs> you get the you get a you get the wrong guy with a shaved head and a couple of tattoos to get up on a platform and say Australia is a white country, and they'll go boo racist. He's a Nazi. You get someone with pink hair and bold framed glasses on a platform and says, Australia is a white country, and they'll sit there and go, that's right, the fucking oath. We've been saying it for hundreds of years. (laughs) Which one is it? Friend of mine the other day made a comment about what happens in the real world, and I just thought, what a lovely thought. The real world? (laughs) This isn't the real world. I don't know what this is, but it's not real. The, the, the world is a is a manufactured PR, you know, animated press release. There's nothing real anymore. Ideologies and companies are working non-stop from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep to plant seeds in your mushy little pink brain, in your mushy grey brain. That's what the world is. It's an animated press release. However, most rich white countries, including Australia, are doing precious little to properly address this inequity. For the most part, they refuse to accept the climate debt they owe to poorer countries and communities. In doing so, they sentence millions of people to premature death. almost like abortion. In doing so, they sentence millions of people to premature death, disability or unnecessary hardship. This includes in Australia, where climate change compounds historical wrongs against First Nations communities in many ways. This injustice, a type of, quote, atmospheric colonisation is a form of deeply entrenched colonial racism that arguably represents the most pressing equity issue of our time. Several upcoming global talks, including the Pacific Islands Forum this week, offer a chance to urgently elevate climate justice on the global agenda. Atmospheric colonisation, ladies and gentlemen. And yes, this does come from a, you know, a respected um, university employee. That's all I'll say. You can look up the details yourself if you like. 
The effects of climate change are not born equally between everyone on the planet, and this problem will only worsen. Black people, people of colour, and Indigenous people often face the most dire consequences in a warming world. For example, research suggests global warming of two degrees would leave more than half of Africa's population at risk of undernourishment due to reduced agricultural production. This is despite Africa having contributed relatively little to greenhouse gas emissions. Yes, but they contribute the most to the population boom. Right? Right? See, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to do science, you need to do it a bit better than that. They also have the largest growing population, which contributes to climate change. Right? Or is that just in the quote-unquote white countries, which I, which which we are told both don't exist and exist at the same time? The existence of white countries is believed by both right-wing racists and left-wing anti-racists. <laughs> Yet they deny it to the other, which is fascinating. Climate injustice also manifests closer to home. The Loija Institute, Australia's national body for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health research, says, quote, climate change disrupts cultural and spiritual connections to country that are central to health and well-being. Health services are struggling to operate in extreme weather with increasing demands and a reduced workforce. All these forces combine to exacerbate already unacceptable risks, uh, levels of ill health within Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander populations, ladies and gentlemen. So there you have it. Climate change is <laughs> climate change is atmospheric colonization, a white colonization of the atmosphere. Apparently the white countries, right, which don't exist. The white countries which aren't white countries because only a racist would say that. They're actually multicultural countries unless they're doing something wrong, then they become the white countries yet again. Funny how that works. <laughs> Um, did have a couple more things, but you know what? I think we'll get out of here. There's a fucking goat outside. It's fine. A fucking goat outside. It's just a goat. No, it's a fucking goat. <laughs> it's a fucking goat. Goat outside, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to follow our friends. Um, Frozen Asian was in the chat earlier. Sunday night shit show. Check out Frozo. You got the Minister of Fun, Kimio. I think might be doing shows again shortly. Uh, starting block was last night. Check it out if you missed it. If you want to, I don't know. We had some fun. Uh, Winning TV, Victor Von Schroom, the mighty Major Tom, uh, JJ. You know everyone. Joy of Pessy, ladies and gentlemen. Go and say good day. Russ, Ice, the Rice Man, ladies and gentlemen. The Rice Man is in the chat. Say hello to the Rice Man. Coffee Talk with Sandra. I hope I didn't forget anyone, but I always do. So until next time, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Just a goat. No.